Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining me on episode 61 of The Virtual Couch. I am your host, Tony Overbay. And you might notice an absence of the music leading in. I'm going to maybe skip a little bit of the business side today. And I just wanted to leave the mic going a little bit and share a few thoughts. I'm at the end of a week where there were some mentions of a couple of celebrities who unfortunately committed suicide this week. And so as a mental health professional, and that was the suicides of Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain, but as a mental health professional, that does make its way into my office quite a bit. And uh, so I, I, I spoke to a lot of people this week about suicide and about how to talk about suicide and how to talk to their kids about suicide. And and unfortunately, as somebody, again, in this industry, there are almost uh, on a weekly basis, you're working with somebody, um, maybe one or two people who are feeling low enough where they are starting to uh, to admit to having some suicidal thoughts, and and uh, so that's something as a as a therapist that you really have to keep track of, and you want to make sure and uh, make sure they have support, and uh, really, you know, that this is one of those times where you can break the confidentiality if somebody is going to cause harm to self or others. So this is a, a big piece of what we work with in uh, in the mental health industry. But I was also approached over the weekend by somebody who just said, I I feel I feel kind of numb. Not that I knew these people, but that I don't know how to talk to my kids about anything regarding suicide. And this person in particular said that they felt like it was even worse than trying to talk about, you know, have the talk about sex. And that just kind of, you know, kind of hit me that I thought, man, I really want to talk about this a little bit. I wouldn't mind dispelling a couple of myths as well. And one of those, and maybe let me just hit that right out of the gate. One of those is, is talking to people about suicide. Contrary to myth, talking about suicide um, does not plant the idea in somebody's head. It actually opens up communication about a topic, suicide, that is, that is usually kept secret. And usually, and this is that whole thing I love about giving something a voice or kind of putting something out there, moving it from your head out into the light, so to speak, um, that's when you can have that. That's when change can really occur, and when those thoughts can become a little bit less scary, a little, hold a little less power. And then especially if, if somebody is opening up to you and you are there for them, you listen to them, it kind of gives them license to be able to bring that subject up again in the future and it gives you a way to follow up with somebody. So I don't want you to think of that myth of I'm going to plant the idea of suicide in somebody's head. So that that one let's, that is a myth. Um, but I want to point to some resources and we'll kind of get to that. How do you talk to your kids about suicide? There's a fantastic movement right now called Be The One Two and it's B-E-T-H-E, the number one T-O, BeTheOneTwo.com, I believe. I should have known that one in advance. Uh, but they there's a pretty big movement that's going around and that is the how and why the around these five steps that can help, can help, um, help people talk about suicide, help people look to others and be able to help with suicide. And even on that note, I know I'm kind of jumping around right now, but if you look at the, there's even a myth around the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, that the, the myth being that it's only the person who is going to commit suicide who can call, but absolutely not. If you are worried about somebody that you, you feel could, is, is in danger, you can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline and get advice on how to talk to this person. And uh, I've had a couple of people have a lot of success with that, where um, they've been able to, the people at the Prevention Lifeline are very well trained in helping others talk to people who they believe are in danger. And that number is 1-800-273-8255. That's a National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. But let me start with a little bit of a story. This is one that I thought was just amazing. There's a guy named Kevin Hines. And if you haven't heard of him, I would I would strongly encourage you to, to look him up. Kevin Hines is now 36. He's a motivational speaker. He's married. 
Um, in his own words, he's extremely happy, married to a woman of his dreams. He travels and, uh, and just is, is really living a, um, a good life. And Kevin, at the age of 19, try, he attempted suicide by jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. And from an article I found about Kevin, it said, as he stood on the bridge, Hines even took pictures for unsuspecting tourists. It's a four-second fall from the top of the bridge to the water, and Hines recalls that the seconds, the second his hands left the bridge rail, he experienced instant regret. And I remember hearing about him in grad school, is that concept of, you know, somebody who survived something as, as big as a jump off the Golden Gate Bridge, where... Um, well, let me kind of get to this part. So he said, but he experienced instant regret. The moment of regret is something he says that all 19 living survivors of the jump have in common. So there are 19 living survivors uh, from trying to jump off the Golden Gate Bridge, and every one of them experienced that instant regret. I remember hearing that in grad school and just thinking, oh my goodness, how do you, how do you get that word out there that it wasn't the, you know, that it was just this regret? Here's what Kevin said. He said, the millisecond my hand left the rail, I thought. What have I just done? I don't want to die. And he said, God, please save me. And then he hit the water and he said, you hit the water and you get vacuum sucked down 70 or 80 feet. But then when he opened his eyes, he was alive. And uh, the key is Heinz had hit the water at a 45 degree angle. And the doctor said if he had landed one centimeter to the left or the right, he would have uh, severed his spinal cord and drowned. But what he did was shatter some vertebrae into little pieces. But he said, all I desperately wanted to do was survive. And experts do call this being shocked into reality. So I really appreciate that story of Kevin Hines. He's now 36. That happened when he was 19. But just that concept of that moment of instant regret. And, and here's where I, what I just, I, I'm, my soapbox speech about this is I have worked with many people who have had suicide attempts. And when I get to work with somebody who has had a suicide attempt, one of the things I start noticing is, of course, everybody around them is now kind of hyper-focused or hyper-aware of now, okay, what do we need to do? What can we do to help this person? And so, and at that point, now we can kind of start looking at some of the things that the person who attempted can give a voice to some of those those thoughts or worries or fears or the things that they feel like other people were would be disappointed with or the things that kind of convince them to have this negative self-talk that for some reason it would be better if they weren't around. So I started to notice as a therapist that, hey, when I have somebody that's even starting to hover around that really low emotional baseline, that now is the time. Now is the time to find out more about, you know, your true hopes and dreams and feelings. It's time for you to start giving things a voice and uh, and being able to just explore a little bit more about who you are and what you want to do. Um, you know, up until that point, this is that the, the case where a lot of people don't want to express things, maybe something they want to study, uh, maybe a job that they want to do, maybe somewhere that they want to live, maybe a particular hobby that they want to take up, because they've often heard, even just in passing, other people make judgments about that particular field or that particular hobby or any of those kind of things. And then the person takes and internalizes these feelings or thoughts and feels like they are they are less than, that they um, that they can't dare bring up that they want to, I don't know, go to a different school than their parents had always wanted them to, or follow a different career path than maybe their parents had always wanted them to, or try a different hobby that maybe their siblings didn't enjoy. And so, and, and I know that can sound pretty simplistic, but over time, enough of those things can cause somebody to feel like they just aren't enough or that they are a burden, those sort of things. So I want us to try to work on being able to talk about that with people well before there's ever this hopeless feeling or this thought that leads to someone wanting to commit suicide. Just a couple of statistics is suicide. Um, this is uh, 
It says the 10th leading cause of death in the U.S. for all ages. That's from the Center of Disease Control. And, and here's the key. Every day, approximately 105 Americans die by suicide. And that was part of why I appreciate when the, the talk of suicide prevention and suicide awareness gets brought up in the news, especially, you know, unfortunately, when there are people, high-profile people or celebrities that, uh, that, do, that do take their own lives. But every day approximately 105 Americans die by suicide. So that is the, the, the concept of that we need to be talking about this all the time. It's not just a, hey, when this happens in the news. Um, we need to talk about this all the time. There's uh, on that, be the one, too. I wanted to talk about those five steps um, and how, how and why the five steps can help. Here's the five steps of part of this uh, be the one, two movement. First is, is ask. When you see that someone is down, um, it says ask, ask, are you thinking about suicide? I mean, we can be that bold. We can kind of be that up front. It communicates that you're open to somebody about speaking about suicide in a non-judgmental way. And, and when you kind of ask in this manner that is, um, you know, you're kind of trying to put off this no judgment, this unbiased manner, that that is when we're going to be able to, to start to open up effective dialogue about where somebody's at. Um, and, and you can ask. Uh, other questions include how do I, you know, how do you hurt or how can I help? And they have in bold here on this Be the One, Two movement, do not ever promise to keep their thoughts of suicide a secret. And I can understand how that can, that can sound a little bit... Uh, that can sound difficult. If somebody is going to open up to you about that they are feeling suicidal, um, you know, but they say promise, you know, promise me you won't tell anyone. And I understand at that point we're trying to build this 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 confidence, you know, this confidentiality and this confidence in the relationship. But I think it, the key, and I think what the Be the One Two movement's talking about is if you stay in there with them and let them know that hey, this is you know you're at a place right now and we much would rather have you here and alive. And I have had plenty of those conversations where somebody will come to me and say, hey, uh, you know, a friend of mine is, is thinking about committing suicide. And, uh, and whenever I've had a chance to talk with that individual, you know, they, they, ju- they want to be heard. And by the time we're done with that, that talk, that communication, I mean, that really is, it is a, it is a call for help. And, uh, and we, can, we can get that person help. Um, and then on the Be the One, Two movement, it says the flip side of the ask step is to listen. And this is the concept. This is where we go back to these uh, things I love about um, the, the communication techniques I teach on the podcast about this emotionally focused therapy, about jumping in there with empathy and not just fixing in judgment statements. Make sure that you take their answers seriously, um, especially if there are thoughts of suicide or, or in, in the things where then somebody says, hey, you know, I'm feeling so overwhelmed in my math class that I'm thinking about committing suicide. You know, that's not one where it's like, okay, really? That's all? You know, you never say, don't say those and jump down into that uh, in with them and into where they are at with empathy and try to understand what's going on, the reasons for their emotional pain. And uh, and because that's the only time when we express that empathy with somebody is the only time we're really going to be able to hear and understand any way, um, any potential reasons why we can kind of tap into why they want to stay alive. So so these are incredibly important to be able to listen, listen with empathy, not dismiss anything that the person's saying. Um, and, and again, studies show that at-risk individuals, that uh, if they are suicidal, that talking about it does not increase suicides or su- suicidal thoughts. Um, is Actually, the research shows the opposite, that acknowledging and talking about suicide, in fact, reduces rather than increases suicidal ideation. Next, you want to keep them safe. How do you do that? And there's a big difference between having suicidal thoughts and then having the suicidal ideation or plan. The plan is being the key 
Um, the more that you can kind of ask someone about, you know, have they already done anything to try and kill themselves before that you, you started talking to them? Or have they discussed how they would try to kill themselves? Do they have a specific detailed plan? What's the timing for the plan? If their plan is talking about has to do with a firearm or has to do with pills or that sort of thing, um, we need to make sure that they do not have access to the firearms or the pills. And this is one of those times where we might need to call the authorities or drive them to an emergency room or you know call the lifeline, the suicide prevention lifeline, because they can always act as a resource during these moments if you aren't entirely sure what to do next. Um, the Harvard T.C. Chan School of Public Health notes that reducing a suicidal person's access to highly lethal means or any type of chosen method for a suicide is a very important part of a suicide prevention plan. And a number of studies have indicated that when lethal means are less are made less available, less deadly, that the suicide rate declines um, immensely. And I know that sounds like it's obvious, but I think that's why it's so important that we want to take that seriously. Uh, the third step on the be the one too is be there. Be there for that person. When somebody is typically feeling suicidal, they, they often feel this loss of connection to others. And uh, that causes isolation. And this is that whole thing where when we keep those automatic negative thoughts kicking around in our heads, they do not typically come out of the other side um, happier. You, you know, when one is left to their own thoughts, if they feel snubbed or if they feel misunderstood or if they feel like nobody's there for them or nobody's listening to them, um, those aren't the thoughts that typically kind of just resolve themselves in their brain. Now, by talking through things, by, by talking with a professional, talking with a friend, just being there for somebody, we can, again, we can kind of make sense of a lot of these thoughts and people may not feel as isolated or alone. So that is a, that is a very, very big concept is to be there for them and help them connect. Uh, this is, again, the first thing we can do is call the Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. But also, this is the part where um, have have them speak with a professional. If they don't feel comfortable enough to speak to parents or a spouse or those sort of things, uh, start looking at there are people out there that can help. If somebody can't afford counseling, <clears throat> excuse me, Google low-cost counseling in your area. And I guarantee you there are nonprofits set up where money is not the, the issue. If, if they aren't willing to go into counseling uh, because of the money issue, um, again, please reach out to local churches. Uh, there, are, there are a lot of programs out there that have the resources, have the therapists there that want to help. Um, and then one of the best things you can do with, during this connection period is just helping somebody start to develop some sort of a uh, kind of a safety plan. So if they are feeling overwhelmed, that they will reach out to somebody or they will uh, call somebody or at least, again, call that, uh, that the, the, the Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 800-273-8255. That's why that is there. I have had people say that they feel like if I even reached out to somebody, they're not going to pick up my phone call or, you know, and, and everybody gets busy and that sort of thing. And so I just, I hate leaving that up to, okay, if I call this person and if they answer, then I will, then I will stick around. But if they don't, you know, then they have these severely irrational thoughts. Um, because we really want it. That's what that uh, lifeline is there for. And the last part of the be the one too is just talking about follow-up. After you have talked to somebody and they've opened up to you about these suicidal thoughts or ideations, if you've connected them to a support system, um, just make sure and follow up. Just see how they're doing. Uh, this is where they, they talk about leaving a message or sending a text, give them a call. Um, just check in and see if there's uh, how things are going, if there's anything else that you can do. But that's, again, that be the one-two movement. And there's those five steps of, of a way to help. And, and the be the one-two movement is trying to trying to get the word out there um, in a lot of different places. It really is. So I, I just want to kind of wrap things up. Um, there's a couple of really good sites out there as well. Obviously, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. There's also, if you go to suicide.org, there's a gentleman named Kevin Caruso, and he is essentially devoted his entire life to trying to 
to save people from suicide. Uh, you know that he has on there a lot of resources and uh, and you know ending almost every page with you know stay alive, stay on the earth. Things will get better. Um, and so and I wanted to touch on that a little bit. Here's some thoughts where if somebody is feeling a bit overwhelmed or suicidal, it, it, you know, skip right to this part if you can. I've tried to just jot down a few things that might sound a bit cliched at times, but I want to say putting my mental health professional hat on. Um, again, if you need help, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline or reach out to a therapist near you. Talk to somebody. Uh, everybody gets sad. That's just a fact of life. A lot of times people feel like, that because they get sad that something is wrong with them. But I've quoted this before and in the book, The Road Less Traveled by M. Scott Peck, the first part of that book talks about life being difficult. But the key is that once we understand that life is difficult, once we can truly embrace the, the concept that life is difficult, then it, it no longer matters, the fact that life is difficult. Because at that point, now it's like, okay, it's difficult. Now what do we do with it? That's one of those things that we are just, you know, we, we prepare ourselves so that then when we come up against a challenge, we're now more of a, what are we going to do about this? Instead of a, I can't believe this just happened to me again. So sadly, when people do have that feeling of sadness or when people feel overwhelmed or they feel severely depressed, then that is when they start to, to ruminate or think about the, this concept of suicide. And, and, they, and that's you know, when they have no other options. But here's the point, though. And, and again, here's, and I hate when people do this, when they say, I don't have any research around this. Um, but I, and I don't. But I've talked with enough people where, you know, we've, we've done a lot on these podcasts where we talk about the way habits are formed. We've talked about the way the brain enjoys patterns. We've talked about this little basal ganglia, this habit center of the brain, that when, when there are thoughts, you know, whether it's uh, thoughts that are related to addiction or whether there's behaviors, tying your shoes, backing out of the driveway, these things that become these just habit loops. And then they're filed away in this little part of your brain, the basal ganglia, so that your brain doesn't have to expend a lot of energy. I'm, I, I feel like over the years, as I've met with a lot of people who have um, gone down some pretty dark paths in their brain with regard to suicide, that at some point, the, the thought or the concept of suicide became the go-to when they started to feel really down or overwhelmed, to the point of where then, even in some of the things that aren't as intense and, and, you know, failing, maybe just failing a test or something like that, where the brain immediately now almost, know, it's like it locks in and says, oh, I know what we do with this. We start contemplating suicide and, and to the point where it almost becomes this habit cycle. So we have to be able to break that pattern. Uh, it's in, in asking for help. You are not weak. You are, you are a strong one. I mean, that's the part where I want you to trust the mental health professional here. And it, it, it is the people who are willing to open up and talk, the people who are willing to seek help are the people that get through this on the other side and can help and motivate others. It's that concept of, you know, if you really do believe that all things happen for a reason or all of these things will be for your good, which, you know, I am a huge fan of all of these things will be for your good, is that you will make it through this difficult period of your life and then you will be able to help somebody else. You, you will. I mean, that is a fact. And that is uh, when we look back at that Kevin Hines, um, you know, he has helped so many people now because he lived, he survived. Um, so you are not weak if you are seeking help. You are strong and you're going to get through it. But sometimes it does. You do need some help from somebody that is not yourself. Um, I've said this before on the podcast, but don't resort to trying to think your way out of a thinking problem. That, that can be the problem when your emotional baseline is low and then you're trying to, to gather, you know, rally from this in just your own thoughts or head. 
then that is a, that is a hard thing to try to do. So, but things are going to get better. Again, there you are going to feel uncomfortable. We feel uncomfortable all throughout the day, but sometimes we don't even notice it. Sometimes it's uncomfortable to get out of bed. Sometimes it's uncomfortable to uh, to get out of a chair. Sometimes we feel uncomfort uncomfortable when we are hungry or. We feel uncomfortable when we, uh, a, a, you know, a policeman comes up behind us with his flashing lights, even when he passes behind, but you know, around us or moves around us, or even when we get pulled over. There are plenty of times where we feel uncomfortable, and this is where we go back to that, you know, start practicing some sort of mindfulness principle, some way to say, okay, that's just a thought, it's just a feeling, and and I can have other feelings as well. I can just focus on my breathing. I can focus on um, some object. I can focus on just a body scan and know that I can have all kinds of feelings and thoughts. I really can. So there's going to be pain. There's going to be sorrow. There's going to be heartache. Um, But I do also want to say that these are the things that make the times where you do feel some joy all the better, or when you are able to laugh all the better. We want to start taking those small steps to raise up your emotional baseline so that you can even start to feel a little bit of this hope or joy or laughter. Um, Quick personal story. For six years, I ran 24 hours around a track in my local community to try to raise money for students at a school. And uh, plenty more to talk about that someday down the road. But the first three years, it was amazing. I mean, obviously a lot of pain, you know, running around a track for 24 hours, covering 110, 115, 120 miles um, during one of these experiences and running with the kids. It was that part, it was great. Obviously pain and uncomfortableness with the legs. But with this concept, um, the last three years, there was a tremendous amount of rain. One of the years it rained 19 of the 24 hours, but I still ran all of that time. And I remember... I have never appreciated dry socks and a little bit of sun um, until after running 10 straight hours in the rain. And, and that's the thing. You're going to have some of these down times, but then I want you to understand and be present and appreciate then those moments where there, there is a bit of hope. Instead of just passing that through your brain and saying it doesn't really matter, um, start to grab hold of those. Just keep going because the sun is going to come up again tomorrow. It just is. Did anybody start seeing Annie? I, I think I did in my head there. Um, and then again, this concept that your struggles build character. They make you who you are. Uh, we've all, we all are going to go through a lot of different challenges, and they are going to make you who you are, going to make you tougher, going to make you more empathetic, going to make you understanding, make you more patient. All of these things are developing who you are. But just don't lose hope. Again, the sun will come out again tomorrow. Uh, keep yourself busy. There is, there is nothing wrong in the world of distraction. A lot of times I talk about when we're trying to do, especially in the world of addiction, when we're trying to um, hone in our mind and, and change the relationship we have with our thoughts, especially our automatic negative thoughts, while we're doing that mindfulness work, because your, your brain is just, it needs the reps. It's like a muscle. It's like going to the gym. You have to practice these mindfulness techniques. And in the meantime, while you're doing that, um, behavioral behavioral change, behavioral intervention can keep you distracted long enough while you're doing this this mind work. So keep yourself busy when you are starting to feel down or if you are going to spend an entire day in your room in bed, guess what? The thoughts aren't probably going to go to the best place. So I have had people literally just volunteer, um, someone that uh, shoveled dog poop for a while. I had somebody that cooked at an old folks home. I had somebody that volunteered at a, at a homeless shelter. I've had somebody um, in the in my running world, go mark trails or I mean, whatever it is, just get out and do. And if you can serve others, kind of get outside of your head. And uh, that is that is a, a big piece of just kind of keeping the ball rolling while you're doing this mindfulness work while you're starting to get a plan together, reaching out to others. Um, but there is there is hope there. And, and try to appreciate the little things. 
Um, as I kind of talked before, dry socks are wonderful. I'm a huge fan of a gratitude journal. It sounds, again, some of these things sound a little bit cliched, but if you try to spend a little bit of time each night and just write something unique down that you're grateful for that day or, or in the morning, I'm a big fan of doing things in the morning, establishing these patterns in the morning, because then you go out throughout the day now being a little more grateful or looking for things that you can write down to be more grateful about. Um, you're not alone. This is the part as the therapist that it's so hard to hear where people feel like they are so alone. And I never want to put their, you know, just put them into another bucket of, you know, somebody who has problems. But it breaks my heart to know that there are so many people that I get to work with that are having similar struggles or situations or challenges, but they don't feel like they can open up about them. So you're not alone, but you're not going to know that until you start to reach out to others and reach out for help because you will get through this. That is the, that is the thing. Stay present. Um, be in the ball game, as Kevin Hines said. You know, the when he when he let go of that rail at the Golden Gate Bridge, he had a, an immediate sense of regret. You don't have to have a suicidal attempt to start to ch- make change in your life. Just find the right people. Find somebody who can help you start to bring out your voice. Really work with the things that you want to do, because ultimately, your parents, your siblings, your spouse, your they do want you around. I would, I would really recommend, and I'm going to put this on my website, a link to this, but there's a, a motivational speaker author named Tim Ferriss. Uh, he wrote The 4-Hour Workweek and I think The 4-Hour Body um, has a great podcast. But Tim Ferriss has a blog article from, I think it's back in 2015, that where he talks about a time where he felt suicidal. I believe it was in his college years. And it alone is full of details that are that are amazing. They really are. That talk about what he went through and how he had said it was basically this feeling of I think it was some disappointment to parents, uh, school, and maybe a breakup of a girlfriend where he felt like I'm ready to end my life, and how he snapped out of that, and and how he's just gone on to so many wonderful things. But the blog itself is not just why I mention this. But there are over 1,100 comments on that blog, and I have had I, I've read those comments, and not all 1,100 of them, but a lot of them. And I've had clients read them. I've read, read them with them here in session before because the comments are, are all primarily from people who are grateful for his blog but are people that had been there. And here's what worked for them. And they are so grateful that they are past that feeling of, of suicidal ideation and suicidal plan. But so there is so much info out there, but you do have to do a little bit of work to find it. And I know that can seem overwhelming, but, you know, just start talking to somebody. Or if you are somebody who thinks that someone is down or struggling, remember, you're not going to plant the seed of suicide in their head. If they're down and they're contemplating suicide, that is what they're thinking of a lot. As a matter of fact, to the point of where they don't want to talk to anybody else about it because, um, they just feel like people won't understand. So reach out to those people. Um, reach out to somebody that you're worried about. You can call that National Suicide Prevention Lifeline anytime, whether that's you or if, uh, if you're the one that's struggling or if you know somebody that's struggling, you can call and talk and ask for ways to, to get help. That's 1-800-273-8255. And I also talked about uh, suicide.org, that website, which has a lot of resources there as well. Um, I recommend taking a look at Kevin Hines and his story because Kevin Hines, um, what a story. And then the fact where he said that all 19 survivors had that same experience where they just thought, I cannot, immediate regret, and they wanted to live. So um, reach out to somebody. I appreciate you taking the time to to listen to this episode and uh, go get help. And um, even if you need to, uh, you know, contact anybody around you, Google help in your area, and uh, you will be able to find that help. And I will see you next time on the virtual couch.